Well, good morning, Bay Hills. How's everybody doing? Good. Well, my name is Kevin Mahaffey, and I'm the new family pastor here. And uh, I'm excited to be with you, and I want to thank you for the warm welcome you've given me over the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm sorry about my voice. You're going to have to suffer with me for the next 35 minutes or so. Um, I don't normally sound like this. Um, and after the first service, I had so many people come up and give me cough drops. I have like a little sampling here. So I'm going to be sucking on one throughout my sermon so my voice will hold up. But uh, it, it's great to be here. And uh, before we jump into the message this morning, I thought it'd be good just to maybe give you a little bit about myself. So uh, you're not sitting there wondering who is this guy uh, the whole time I'm here. Um, so uh, I've been in ministry for uh, over 20 years now. I uh, spent 18 years as a full-time youth pastor and teaching pastor uh, back in New York. And uh, for the last two years, I've had the privilege of um, just traveling and speaking and writing. Um, and uh, that's been a lot of fun, just going and speaking at camps and retreats and different churches around the country um, and doing leadership training. And uh, my wife, Adriana, and I have been married for 24 years this year. And uh, yeah, we have uh, two daughters. Uh, Claudia is 22. Uh, she is the one in the white. Oh, by the way, some of you are wondering if I have three daughters. No, one of them is my wife. <laughs> You're like, yeah, that's photoshopped. It is, and I am suing them because they put me into that picture. And um, no, uh, my wife is the one next to me. Um, she's a recycled teenager. That's it. She's, so uh, our, our oldest daughter, Claudia, is on the end. She's in the white. Uh, she graduated from Grand Canyon University in December uh, in Phoenix. And she took a job in Scottsdale, so she's living there. And our youngest, Natalia, is 18. She's a freshman at GCU. So we're excited to be moving a little bit closer to them over here. And this past fall, after um, we sent Natalia off to college, my wife and I just started praying and asking God, what's, what's kind of next for us? And uh, through a series of events and circumstances and conversations, God led us to, to speak with Pastor Dave, and, and uh, here we are. So we're really excited about the opportunity to be here in the Bay Area and serving with you guys. Um, I'm originally from New York, uh, and for the last 15 years, Long Island has been home for us, and we enjoyed raising our family there and lots of wonderful memories, and um, now we get to move here, and I'm, I'm glad to move to another cool place because my friends will still come visit. You know, they, they won't come for us, but they'll come to go to, it's not San Fran, I've been told. It's San Francisco, the city. When I'm in Long Island and people come, oh, we're going to NYC. No, 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 it's the city, right? So now this is, this is the city here. Um, so uh, I've been here about three weeks and uh, drove all the way across the country. Uh, but my wife, because of our uh, home situation and her work situation, can't come until the end of summer. So pray for us. She's actually looking at it like a vacation. I'm suffering. Um, <laughs> But uh, she is real. Some of you don't even believe she's real. And if she is, why did she marry a guy like me? She is blind. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, actually, she'll be here in about two weeks to visit, and I'll look forward to you being able to introduce her to you and, and uh, look forward to getting to know you guys. So, okay, enough about me. Let's jump into our message for today. How many of you know that we serve a God who invites us to have conversation with him? Isn't that a cool thought to think that the God of the universe wants a personal relationship with us and we serve a God who hears us. He has the ability to and desire to respond to our prayers. And this morning we're taking a look at the prophet Isaiah and a time when he prayed a prayer.
that was audacious, it was big, it was bold, and God answered his prayer in a miraculous way. If you have your Bibles, turn them on, or if you're old school like me, turn with me to uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, it's fine, the words will be on the screen. But uh, we're in the middle of a, a series on the prophet Elijah. So let's just do a quick recap for a moment to kind of get us up to speed if you haven't been here. In week one, Pastor Dave talked about idols. Uh, the prophet Elijah came on the scene because there was a king named Ahab and his wife Jezebel who had embraced idolatry and they had led God's people into worshiping these false idols. And um, idolatry, we looked at, is not just some old-time thing, a pagan thing that happened. It's actually something that we can fall into today because idolatry is any time we put something else before God. And so Elijah sent to Ahab and, and uh, Jezebel with the mission of telling them the bad news that there's consequences when you don't obey God, when you don't uh, worship him only. And the, the consequence was this three-year drought. In week two, we saw how obedience is so hard. We saw how obedience is so hard. Ahab and Jezebel were so angry with Elijah that they set out to kill him. And so God knew this was going to happen. He sent him on the run, sent him into hiding. And he said, I'm going to send you places and I'm going to provide for you in ways that just won't make sense. But I need you to trust me. And Elijah obeyed the Lord. He chose to obey. And we learned that obeying the Lord is not always easy. In fact, it is often very difficult, but it is always worth it. In week three, last week, we saw how God always provides. One of the ways that God chose to provide for Elijah was through this poor widow who literally was on death's doorstep with her son. She had just a little bit of flour and a few drops of oil, and she basically had resigned herself. I'm going to make us a last meal, and we're just going to die. And Elijah shows up and says, make me a dinner. <laughs> and she says, I don't have anything. And he says, well, just go ahead and make it for me anyways, because God wants you to. And she says, okay, I'm going to do it. And we saw that because of her obedience and her willingness to put God first, even before taking care of her own needs, God said he would provide for them miraculously, that they would never run out of flour and oil during this drought, and they would get to the point where they would be able to see the rains come again and they could grow crops and so that they could survive. So let's pick up the story today in 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to read 17 through 24. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? <clears throat> Did you come here to remind me of my sin and to kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Prior to this, we saw how this woman and her son had experienced this incredible miracle that they had literally experienced the salvation of God in a very practical and a very 
physical sense. <coughs> they had experienced his mercy and his kindness. And they had heard this is essentially a promise that says, you're not going to die during this famine. You're going to make it. And then all of a sudden, this tragedy strikes that just flies in the face of everything they understood was going to happen. Did you know that you can do everything right and things can still go wrong? Last week, we talked about putting God first in our finances. Did you know you can honor God with your finances and you can still struggle financially? You can raise your kids the right way and do everything right as a parent and they could still go off the deep end. You can do, be honest and hardworking and you can still lose your job. Obedience doesn't always equal immediate blessing. You can be walking in obedience, doing what God asked you to do, and life can suddenly take a left turn. Here's what I know. Life is not all roses. If you have your um, handout this morning, you could write that right in there. Life is not all roses. We're in church, so I won't say it like I would say it if we were in New York and I was on the street, but life happens. Right? Life happens. It, it's, it's just the way it is. Sometimes things happen that just aren't fair. We live in a broken world. Through Jesus, God said, I'm coming to fix my broken world. I'm going to start putting the pieces back together. God set out on a mission through Jesus, and we're a part of that mission of putting God's world back together again. But just take one look, look around you, and you will know that things are not as they should be. There's work to be done. The second thing I want to say is this. Life happens to all of us, Christians included. Commentator Matthew Henry said, Neither faith nor obedience shut out affliction or death. Did you know that when you give your life to Jesus, when you say yes to following him, you don't instantly get a get-out-of-problems-free card? It doesn't happen. Jesus does not offer us escape from the problems and the realities of life. What Jesus offers us instead of escape is companionship and meaning and purpose. It's interesting that when God looked at the brokenness of his world, he wasn't okay with it. But rather than saying, I'm just going to take everybody out of there, God instead chose to come into the world. He says, it says in John 1 that the word became flesh and lived among us. I like the way the message version says it, that God himself chose to move into the neighborhood. He looked at the hood and said, it's messed up. And I'm not going to fly in with a helicopter and evacuate everybody. He says, no, I'm going to move in. I'm going to fix it from within. I'm going to come in and do something. In Jesus, God entered the mess. The prophet Isaiah, when he was talking about the Messiah that was to come, Jesus, he said, he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. Not you might. He said, you will have trouble. But he said, take courage, for I have overcome the world. In Jesus, God said, I'm coming to be with you in the journey of life. When you commit your life to God, Jesus says, come, come with me, follow me. He says, you don't have to be afraid. Stick with me and I will help you navigate life. And if you obey me and you do what I say, your life will contribute to this beautiful work of healing and restoration that I'm doing in this world. When we come into relationship with Jesus, it's not that difficulty and death are removed. It's that we re experience them in a very different way. We see them through the lens of the resurrection. We understand that the things that we are dealing with 
there's more going on. It's not the end in themselves. We still feel pain. We experience sadness, but we also experience great comfort because we know that somehow God in his goodness is going to work all this out. That even the tough stuff will fit into this beautiful mosaic of all these broken, shattered pieces. He's going to put it together and craft something so beautiful that will display his goodness. So even in the midst of pain, God gives us perspective, an eternal perspective. And when you live with an eternal perspective, you begin to have a peace. But here's the hard part for us. God gives us peace, but he doesn't always give us answers. Life doesn't always make sense. Even when you're a Christian, you're going to have questions. Jesus doesn't invite us to a life of answers. He invites us to a life of faith. And I don't know if you realize this, but a life of faith necessitates that you will have questions. Because if you have all the answers, you don't need faith. (laughs) But because we don't, we have to learn to trust God in things we don't understand. When life takes a left turn and things don't make sense, what is our natural instinct? Well, we're a lot like the mother in this story. She tries to play the blame game. Don't we do that? We try to blame something or somebody. She tries to blame Elijah. What do you have against me? What do you have? What's your problem? <laughs> right? And then she says, maybe it's my past. Did you come here to remind me of my past sin? Then implicitly she's blaming God. Is this the way God is going to punish me for the things that I've done wrong? Sometimes other people are to blame for things that go wrong in our life. Sometimes we are to blame for things that go wrong in our life. But let's be honest and say, if you're really looking for something to blame, we have to blame sin. We live in a broken world, and people do bad things because we're broken people. Things happen, natural disasters happen in things because we live in a world that is experiencing the effects of sin. Sin is what fractured God's world. But rather than playing the blame game, I wonder if we want to take God up on his invitation to prayer, to talk to him about life, because that's what God invites us to do. He invites us to talk to him about life. All throughout scripture, we see a God who is pursuing his people, inviting them to live in relationship with himself. Nowhere is God's desire for relationship seen more clearly than in Jesus who came to this earth to reveal to us what God is like, what God cares about, his nature, his heart, and to invite us to reconnect with our Heavenly Father. He invites us to this life of faith. And one of the ways that we express faith is through prayer. God cares about what you're going through in your life. And he invites you to talk to him about the things that concern you. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7 say, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving in your hearts, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. You may not even understand, but he's going to give you a peace in the midst of that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In the New Testament, in James 5, the person that we're studying, Elijah, is mentioned. And here's what it says about Elijah. James says this about him. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced crops. Amazing. Miracles happened when Elijah prayed. And I want you to write these words in your, in your notes. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. It's interesting to me 
that James is not so fascinated or caught up in the idea uh, of Elijah being a prophet. He's less interested in the fact that Elijah was a prophet and more interested in communicating that Elijah was a prayer. That Elijah prayed, and he's reminding us that we are invited to pray to the same God that Elijah did. The same God who he can do for us what he did for Elijah. So let's look at uh, Elijah in this situation and see what his faith and his prayer looked like. First of all, when the widow comes to Elijah with her dead son, she comes and asks, what do you have against me? Why did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? As we mentioned, sometimes uh, the consequences we experience in our lives are because of sins we committed or others committed against us. But sometimes life just happens. And when that happens, we can't understand why. And I, and, and I can't help you with that. But what I want to know is that, uh, what I want you to know is this. God, even if you don't understand, God does not delight in your suffering. God does not sit back and enjoy it. It breaks his heart. Notice what Elijah does not do. He does not try to explain why this has happened. When tragedy strikes, when people experience things like that, what's the first thing they want to know? Why? Why? It's a completely normal and legitimate question to ask. But do you know what people need most when tragedy strikes? They don't need answers. They need someone to put their arm around them and say, I'm with you. You remember Job's friends? They came. If you know the story of Job, they came. They, they had all the answers. They had all these theological uh, prep propositions about why this had happened and all this stuff. <coughs> when people go through things, they don't need rationalizations. They don't need theological explanations. What they need are people who say, I'm with you. <coughs> Just like Jesus was. Emmanuel. And we're called to be like Jesus to people, to just be with them, to sit, to listen, to pray, to say, I'm sorry. So let me give you some principles of prayer from Elijah. Look what Elijah does. Instead of arguing or trying to defend God or blame something or someone, Elijah simply says, give me your son. Then he takes him. And the first thing we learn about prayer from Elijah is that we cannot ignore the challenges and the difficulties and the problems of life. We have to embrace reality. <clears throat> says he took him. Some people seem to think that when you're living a life of faith, that it means you see everything through rose-colored glasses and, and you insist that anything wrong that's going on in your life must be an indication of sin or lack of faith. No, Jesus calls us to a walk of faith, but that doesn't mean that we live life in denial of reality. Life happens, and being honest about that is not an indication that you lack faith. Living in faith means acknowledging those things, recognizing that bad things do happen to good people. But we know that there's more going on than we can see in the, in, in the natural. That you know that you're not facing these challenges alone. You know that Jesus is with you, that the Holy Spirit is in you. He's comforting you. He's guiding you. He's helping you through what you are facing. The second thing we can learn about prayer from Elijah is that we need to show empathy. It says he took the boy from her in his arms carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. A few thoughts. First of all, he took the boy in his arms. This woman was carrying the weight of her dead child all by herself. The burden she was feeling, this pain, this suffering, this loss. 
Galatians 6, 2 says, carry each other's burdens. This isn't just observing from a distance. You can feel sympathetic from a distance. Empathy is different. Empathy means you learn to feel with people. When you see somebody going through difficulty or when you hear about a prayer request, you don't just feel bad for the person. You try to put yourself in their shoes and take upon yourself the the weight that they're feeling and they're carrying. And notice that Elijah brought the boy into his house, into his home, into his own room, into his own bed. He identified so deeply with what this mother was feeling. He felt it in a personal way. He brought him into the intimacy, into the sacred space of his own heart. As he stood there and he looked at this boy, this dead boy, feeling the pain of a mother, Elijah experienced the same thing that you and I experience when we see these kind of things happen. When life doesn't make sense, he had some serious questions for God. Next thing I want to say is express your questions, your confusions, your doubts, your fears. It says, then he carried him, uh, then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow that I'm staying with by causing her son to die? What Elijah wanted to know was why God would bring a tragedy on this particular woman, on this particular house. God, this woman obeyed you. She did what you wanted her to do. She sacrificed for you. God, why are you letting this bad thing happen to this good person? See, we can, we can understand a little bit. We can make sense when bad things happen to bad people, right? That's the way the world should work. Bad things happen to bad people, but we think good things should happen to good people, but that's not reality, is it? We wrestle with that. It's just not fair, God. Why does this happen? I've had a lot of experiences like this, and I'm sure you have as well. I want you to see my friend Tommy. He's my best friend for about the last 15 years, one of my very best friends. Tommy's an incredible guy. For uh, about six, 15 years ago, 14 years ago, somewhere around the time we met, Tommy was playing softball. And uh, we played softball. And uh, Has anybody ever been hit with a softball? Like, yeah. Tommy was playing shortstop, and he caught, he caught a bad hop, and, it, and the softball hit him in the leg. No big deal, right? You get a bruise, you suck it up, you just kind of move on, and you limp around a few days. Well, Tommy, the thing is, it, it just didn't get better. Eventually, it caused blood clotting in his leg. And uh, it was just a few years, and he's kind of getting blood thinners and stuff. And all of a sudden, they realized he had this really, really rare thing that the blood clotting had traveled up his leg and gotten into his lung. And um, so about uh, 10 years ago, uh, they were looking at him and said, man, this is really, really serious. I don't know the name of the, the condition he had, but they said, there's one thing we can do. There's this filter we can put in, but it's such a rare thing that there's only like two people in the country that do it or the world. I don't remember. They said, there's one guy in San Diego who's willing to do this for you. So we were in New York. He left. He had to go there for a month to prep for the surgery and stuff. And it was really scary because they said, We're not, we can't guarantee this is going to work. So Tommy and his wife, Naomi, flew out there. And uh, I went and, and just stayed with them for a couple of days and just prayed with them after, you know, right around the surgery. And, and uh, he made it through the surgery. It was really miraculous. It was great. And he came home and he kind of was able to start getting back to functioning. And, and uh, then through the years, he just kind of resumed life. And uh, he was a huge staple in my family. He was um, always at our house for birthday parties and graduations, and uh, he would come to our daughter's uh, celebrations and, birth and, and uh, school stuff. And my one daughter played softball, 
And this was Uncle Tommy to my girls. They literally call him Uncle Tommy. And Uncle Tommy would always just come walking across the softball field, and it was just so great. In fact, on the, my daughter's last softball game, she said, there's one thing I've always wanted to do. And so she had Uncle Tommy stand over there, and my daughter had all her catcher's equipment on. And she ran, and she just jumped into his arms. It was so cute. And um, so this is, this is the guy, man. He's been just a part of our family. And um, about six months ago, in August, he went to the doctor for a checkup. And uh, they were looking in his lungs and said, we see a lump in your lungs. And uh, they found cancer. So we got to do, we got to get in there. We got to take care of this thing. And so they wanted to start doing the chemo and all that. When they went to the hospital, they said, oh, no, we found you have leukemia too. And so he went to the hospital in August in New York City. And, and uh, they checked him into the hospital. And uh, they started doing the treatments. But every time he would start making progress with that, it would trigger something with the condition with his legs and with his, with his, with his uh, blood clotting. And so they would have to stop chemo to deal with his legs. His legs literally filled up with 70 pounds of fluid. He, I mean, they, they were just huge. And he kind of got bedridden. He couldn't get up. I had to go and help him, you know, change all the bandaging and all. It was crazy. And so finally, like, they're, they're starting to figure out, like, the right mix of all these things. And they get the chemo going, and things start to go okay. And uh, in October... He, he, on a Friday, his wife posted a video on Facebook from the hospital. Uh, Tommy got up, and he was walking with a walker, and everybody's so excited. Like, he's starting to do this. And, and so she said, everything's going great. I'm going to go home for a couple of days. I had been going to the hospital every week to visit him a couple times a week. And uh, so on Friday, she goes home. She went back on Sunday just expecting more good news, and she walked into a room filled with doctors saying, your husband has a, an infect. he's developed an infection in his leg and it's gone sepsis. And if we don't operate, he will die right away. There's a good chance he will die even if we do the surgery, but we have to do the surgery. So we got the call. We went racing to the hospital. There was a small group of his family and some friends and we just prayed fervently through that surgery. And, and by God's grace, he came through. And I went home that night and in the middle of the night, I got a text and they said, they don't think he's going to make it through the night. Man, we prayed and prayed, and Tommy's a fighter. His name was Rock. That's what, that was his nickname, Rock. And so, uh, man, he proved it true. He came through. He made it and uh, started progressing. Started, he had to get a whole skin graft done on his leg where they had removed this huge chunk of infection and started recovering, doing well. And so uh, in December, my girls came home uh, for break, and for one of our first stops was to go visit Uncle Tommy in the hospital, and uh, we just had great, he was himself, he was laughing, and, and it was scary because, you know, a couple months before he was totally unconscious, and so it was great. Um, I came here in January uh, when I was introduced, and when I left, it was really good news, and, and uh, David even mentioned I went to visit him in the hospital and stuff, and, and uh, so I got back from this trip, and uh, they said, Tommy's doing really good, and they said, we're going to let him go home and let him do some uh, therapy near his house. So he went home. He was so excited. Went to a restaurant, got dinner, and uh, four, four months in the hospital. That's, that's a long time. So he goes home, and uh, he's home for three or four days, and he starts to nosedive. So they raced him back to the hospital. And um, so on uh, Thursday, January 23rd, we, we heard it was getting bad. So my wife and I went to the hospital, and we went in, and Tommy was just totally yellow from the dialysis and he's just staring off 
we just thought, wow, this is even more scary than we saw him before, and he was unconscious. And on Sunday, January 26th, I lost my friend. On uh, Friday, January 31st, I was driving to come here. And with my car loaded, the last stop that I made before I hit the road was at his funeral. Tommy was the nicest guy. He really loved the Lord. He would give you the shirt off his back. He was a servant leader. He influenced not just my family, but hundreds of others. Just hundreds of people talked about this guy and his influence. And all of us, myself included, are sitting here going, why? Why Tommy of anybody? God, why, why can't you take the guy who's breaking in cars? Why, why Tommy? He's the nicest guy, right? Tommy's wife, Naomi, is our dear friend. And just like Elijah, I can't offer her an explanation. All I can do is offer her the gift of presence. We're here with you. We're here for you. All we can do is love her and cherish our memories, and we have to take our questions and our confusions to the Lord. Rather than trying to talk to the woman and defend God, he said, i got to talk to God about this woman. i got to talk to God about this child. When life takes a left turn, take your questions and your fears and your frustrations to God, and I want you to know he's big enough to handle it. In Jesus, God offers to be with us in the midst of our confusion and to carry our burdens with us. Number four, engage your heart and your mind in prayer, not just your mouth. Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times. This is such an interesting thing that Elijah does. And uh, scholars really don't know why he did this. Um, Their best guess is something that he felt God told him to do. But what I want to suggest to you is that that. God, the word means he measured himself. Like he looked at this boy and he measured himself. And then he laid out on this boy. And, and my, my challenge to you, my thought is this. Ask God to stretch your faith to the size of the need you're praying for. Ask God to give you a measure of faith. And, and Elijah felt deeply and he prayed fervently. When you pray, engage not just your, your mouth uttering words, but get your heart in there. Ask God to, to move your your feelings and your emotions, and pray from the depths of your heart. Prayer is more than words. Elijah did this three times, it says. When I read that, I thought of the invitation that Jesus gives us when we go to our Heavenly Father. He says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Number five, expect God to answer. It says he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. Even in the midst of his confusion, Elijah believes that his God has the ability to do something that has happened. It says the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him. This is the first mention in the Bible we have of somebody being raised from the dead. But I got really good news for you this morning. It's not the last. Jesus was raised from the dead. And I got to tell you, Jesus is in the resurrection business. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has the ability to do something about the situation you're in? Maybe this morning you feel like your marriage is dead. Maybe you feel like your child is too far gone. Maybe you feel like your situation and finances is too bleak. When we pray, we pray to the one true God who specializes in raising the dead to life. So keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep believing. 
just quickly jump down in your notes. We're going to come back to number six, but I want to give you some thoughts about how God answers prayer. In this story, God did exactly what Elijah prayed for, but we have to be careful here because God is not a genie who lives in a lamp that all we have to do is rub and he'll do whatever we want. We serve God. He is not here to serve us, right? And so let me give you some uh, perspective to guide you as you pray. When you pray, first of all, pray knowing that maybe God wants to change your situation. God has the ability to change the circumstances in which you find yourself. But sometimes God doesn't choose to remove your uh, situation or change your circumstances. Sometimes God wants to change you. Sometimes God wants to change you. God may sometimes allow us to stay in a difficult situation because, not because he's mean, but because he's trying to form something in our character. He's trying to do something in us. And maybe sometimes God is not answering us. It seems like he's not answering because he's preparing us for something in our future. There's a little bit of a delay in the understanding the answer. So when we pray, know that God is sitting uh, outside of time. He's looking back on your life. He knows what's in, in front of you that you can't see. And maybe he's allowing you to go through something because he knows you need it down the road. One more thought I want to give you. James 5.15 says, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. We were praying like crazy that Tommy would be raised up again. We were praying that he would experience another miracle of restoration. But it didn't happen as we wanted. Does that mean we did not have faith? Can I tell you there was a lot of faith. There was a lot of faith in that room. What does it mean to say we have, uh, we pray in faith? I'm going to give you two sides of the coin of a prayer of faith because I think too often we only see one side. It gets, over, it gets emphasized rightly, but I think it, it forgets the other side. When we pray, the two sides of the prayer of faith is this. Prayers of faith, on one hand, believe that God is all-powerful and able to perform the miraculous. Did I believe that God could raise Tommy up? Absolutely. In fact, I saw it many times. I absolutely know that God has power to do that. But here's the other side of the prayer of faith. Prayer of faith is not just God can do this. God is powerful enough to do this. The second side is this. God, it it acknowledges that God is all-knowing, that he sees the full picture of which we can only see a part, that sometimes he allows things to happen that we do not fully understand. I would define faith-filled prayers as wholehearted, unwavering trust in and commitment to God regardless of the outcome. Ultimately, we have to pray along with Jesus, who when confronted with the bitter cup of his suffering and the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed this, Father, if you are willing Take this cup for me. God, in other words, God, if you can do this any other way, please do it a different way. Jesus prayed that. If you could do this some other way, please. But he said, but not my will, but yours be done. I have found these words to be the hardest and yet the most important part of any prayer. When I pray, I ask the Lord for what I want to see happen. But at the end of the day, I ask God, God, you know far more than I do. And I'm asking that whatever you need to happen or you will allow to happen, you'll let it happen, but you'll give me the grace that I need and that you will get the glory that you deserve. The last point is this. 
enhance the reputation of God. It says he gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. And then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is from your mouth. And it's true. Elijah did not come and say, look what I did. Check out my awesome prayer. It worked. No. The woman recognized that, that what, what Elijah did wasn't some cheap magic trick. It was rooted in the power of the God he was praying to. So here's the thing. We put our faith not in our faith. We put our faith not in our prayers. We put our faith in our God who is faithful. Pastor David hit this a couple of weeks ago. He said we can't make God more than he is. You can't add anything to God. He is all that he needs. But what we can do is make him more famous. We can make him more famous by how we live and what we say by testifying So whether it's through God did a miracle, man, God gets the glory. Or if tragedy struck and it didn't work out the way we wanted, you know what? God gets the glory. How does God get the glory? God's giving me the grace to continue moving on. I wouldn't be able to do this unless God was giving me grace. He gets the glory. The God behind the prayer, behind the answers uh, to the prayers of Elijah is the same God that we pray to. The power of prayer is available to us. And everyone who's seeking to follow Jesus, God says, I want to I talk to you. And if you're not in a relationship with God through Jesus, I want to invite you today to ask Jesus to be the leader of your life. That you can enter into that kind of conversation with God. You can have that personal relationship with Jesus. When life takes a left turn, and when you're surprised, I want you to know there's a God in heaven who is not surprised. He is not knocked off his throne by the things that knock you over. And he invites you to come to him in prayer. So God, this morning, you invite us to be a praying people. You invite us to be a community who prays. And God, I ask that you would just give us a measure of faith. Increase our faith to believe you. God, to trust you. God, we believe that you can do miracles in the situations that are represented in this room. God, we believe that you can give us grace when we don't understand that you can help us to move forward even when we have had things happen that don't make sense. God, thank you that you are faithful. Would you help us to learn and grow as people of prayer? In Jesus' name, amen.